Welcome to our class on Chassidus. We're going to be learning this week a beautiful Chassidic discourse from the Rebbe. The name of the Chassidic discourse is called Kiseitse la Molchama, when you go out to war. The Rebbe said this Chassidic discourse on Shabbos Parsha Seitse, which was the 14th day in the month of Elul, in the year Tavshin Memhei, 37 years ago. So again, the Chassidic discourse is based on the verse of the Torah portion where it says, When you go out to wage war on your enemy, And God, your God, will give you in your hand, You're going to take captive. So the Rebbe said it's known the uh, questions that the different uh, Hasidic Rabbeim, the Chabad Rabbeim have asked, in other words, question number one is, when the Torah says, you're going to go out to war, it says, and you're on top of your enemy. So why does it say on top of the enemy? No, seemingly, it should have said with your enemy, or, uh, uh, or at your enemy, etc. What's the idea of on top of your enemy? That's question number one. The next question they ask is, the verse says, shivya." That are captive, you're gonna you're gonna take. It's a double expression. Vishavisa, you're gonna take the captive, or shivya the captive. Why a double expression? In other words, that's question number one. Another and, and what does it seem from the verse? What you're taking from the enemy is a captive that the enemy took from somewhere else. In other words, you're not taking something that belongs to the enemy, you're taking a captive from the enemy. So why is it specifically referring to you taking a captive from the enemy versus of taking what belongs to the enemy? Another question of asked is, <clears throat> in other words, when you go to war from the enemy, so you, what happens then? You're taking what belongs to the enemy. You're not taking it for, or it's a captive. So why does the Torah specifically say, B'Shavisha Shivya? Also, there was asked another question, we have to understand the continuation of the verses afterwards. What does it say afterwards? That um, if you take a, a woman as a captive, so you're going to um, uh, uh, shave her head, cut off her hair, you're going to allow the nails to keep on growing, and then she's going to cry for her mother and her father for a whole month. What's the connection? And the explains the general ideas as follows. What does it mean when you're going out to war? In other words, there's a physical war, you're going out to a physical war, but it's also a lesson to each and every one of us. And, and not only each and every one of us, but in every generation. It applies to every single one of us, past, present, and future. In other words, why is that? Because we know the whole Torah. Because Torah comes from the word of a hero, a lesson. So anytime you have something in the Torah, it's a teacher's a lesson. And the Torah was given, as we know, it says, um, It was given an inheritance to the, to the Jewish people. Every single one of us, the Torah belongs to us. It's our inheritance. And since we know Torah is not just a Torah book that sits on the shelf, but it's called Torah's Chaim. It's a Torah of life, which means it's teaching us a lesson how to live our life. So obviously, all the different details that we're learning about this subject matter, about going to war and taking a captive, etc., um, it has something which teaches us a very powerful lesson in our life and every one of us. So what, what is that lesson? So Rebbe explains and he says as follows. Now, what does it mean when you're going out to war on a practical level, in us serving Hashem? 
Because Rebbe explains, what does that mean? The general idea of going out to war on a spiritual level, on a practical level, in Hebrew it's called Ba'avoyda Sodom, which basically means a person has a responsibility, you have to go out to war to conquer the world, the physical world, the materialistic world, and take the materialistic and the physical world and make it into a dwelling place for Hashem. So it was we're shifting perspective. We're not just talking about a war of the past. We're talking about every single day when we get up, every single day when we're involved in the world, we are dealing with a physical, materialistic world, and our job is to make the world a vessel for godliness. That's what our job is. And it's a war. It's a real war, because the materialistic world wants to be materialistic. It wants to be physical. Our job is to take the physical, materialistic world and turn it into a godly place for Hashem. And that's why it says when you're going to go out to war on your enemy. Why? Because when you're getting up or throughout the day and you're trying to transform the world to make the world a godly place, so you're going to think, oh my gosh, am I going to be successful or not? So a person has to know, and the Torah says, you're going out to conquer the world, to make the world a godly place. Remember, remember you're above your enemy. In other words, you will be successful because you have the upper hand. Why are you going to have the upper hand? So very simple, because why are you going to war? Why do you want to make the world a godly place? Because God commanded us. God is commanding us. You're going out to war. You're going out to make the world a godly place. So why are you doing this? You're doing it in the power of Hashem, in the power of Torah. So it's not two equals. That we're, we and the world are equals. No, we have to remember when you're going out to war to make the world a godly place, remember you're above the enemy. We have the edge. We have going with the power of Hashem. We're going with the power of Torah to make the world a godly place for Hashem. Now, why is that again? Like we just learned, because it's a, it's a mitzvah. He say we're going out to war. But Rebbe says, one second. Rashi just said in the commentary, what kind of war are we talking about? We're talking about a war which is optional. If we're saying we're commanded to go out to war, so I get it, we're commanded to go out to transform the world. And therefore we're above the enemy. But if Rashi is saying it's referring to an optional war, so where's the command to go out? It's optional, I don't have to go out to conquer, conquer the world. So the Rebbe explains very simple. When, when Rashi is saying that it's an optional, optional to go out to war, what does that mean practically? It's referring to not going ahead to transform the negativity of the world into positive, but it's referring to dealing with the neutral part of the world. And we're taking the neutral part and making the neutral into a vessel for Hashem. How do we do that? Like we know it says clearly in the Mishnah, um, all our actions... That means any action that we're doing, any basic, simple action, whether we're, whether we're doing an errand, we're out walking in the street, simple stuff, whatever we're doing, we should do it, L'Shem Shemayim. Our intent should be whatever, we're not necessarily doing a mitzvah or tr- avoiding a transgression. Basic activities, basic chores of the day, we should do it, B'chol Masecha, everything we do, we should do it for the sake of Hashem. <coughs> 
and as and as also says, in all our ways, again, which is referring to general our ways, not necessarily specifically going to do a mitzvah. We should do who we should know Hashem. It means that everything we our actions should be we should have the intention for Hashem. But and every every place that we're going, everything that we're doing, we should always try and be cognizant that Hashem creates the world, Hashem runs the world, Hashem is with me. And this way you're making the world a vessel for Hashem. Now, even though this is not a mandatory war, it's not one of the mitzvot, it's not one of, to stay away from, uh, from a, a transgression, but nevertheless, even in this war, to take our simple acts, b'chol ma'secha, all our actions to make it l'shen shemayim, b'chol drachecha, and everything we do, we know for Hashem, even if it's optional, even there, because Rashi says it's rishos, it's optional, yes, even there you should know that we are ali becha, we're on top of the enemy, and we will be successful. Why is that? Because since what we're doing in our simple mundane acts, and everything that we're doing with knowing Hashem, all our simple actions, it's all the Shemayim. So we're doing it because, because it says in the Torah, and Rashi says, we're talking the optional activities. And like the verse says clearly, that it's referring to an optional war. And our job is to transform the neutral part of the world. So therefore, even this type of war, we're dealing with the neutral part of the world, and when we're making it for the sake of Hashem, over there we have to remember, don't worry, we'll be successful. Why? Because Ali Becha, we are above our enemy. <clears throat> and when a person goes out to war, to deal with the world, but to have the proper intention that whatever you're doing is for Hashem, and you know that you are on top of your enemy, <clears throat> so what happens is your success is on a whole different level. And the success is not just a passive success, but it's a success off the charts. Like in a way we call in Hebrew, Hatzlacha, with tremendous success. So our success will be in a very, very powerful, in a very, very powerful way. The verse continues out to say, what does it say in the Torah? Hashem will give you your enemy in your hand. What does that mean? And Rebbe explains like this. It's known when someone goes out to wage war, so there's different ways you can wage war. One way you're waging war is you have to put a lot of toil, a lot of effort into it, and and you have to, it's something just backbreaking, it's, it's, stress, it's stressful, it's strenuous, etc. And because of your effort, that's how you have the success. You know, you got to, you put in the effort, and you'll have the success. That's one type of war. But then there's a different type of success that comes without even putting in any effort into it. Like it says, the, the famous line, um, <coughs> that, that um, all your work gets done automatically. You have to show up. But things happen miraculously. In other words, even though you're in a situation of a war, but nevertheless, the success is in a way of peace, where basically the opposition falls away. And, if you, and, and, and it totally goes away. So one way is where you have to work hard, and the other way you do you show up, but it, everything comes easy. Like the famous line in Psalms from King David where he says, Pada b'shalayim nafshi, my soul was redeemed in peace, me crovely from those that wanted to hurt me, from those that were close to me. In other words, even though he was in a situation of, of it, was, it, was, it was close combat, and it was real war from people that were close to him. But nevertheless, his success and his redemption was in a way of peace. 
And peace means a peace, but peace also means in a way of completion. So A was peaceful and it was fully complete. And this is the second level of success without putting any effort, 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 effort into it. Things happen by itself. And that's what the verse says, in Hashem will deliver the success in your hands. In other words, when you go out to war with the proper intention, knowing I am here, and I know that I have a mission to make the world a godly place, and I know I'm above the enemy, I know we have the edge, because God did create the world, and Hashem is with, Hashem is with us, then what happens is we have the success off the charts. Hashem will deliver success without any effort. And it's an and and, the, and there is that specifically the word used in a sunny. The sunny comes from the word of a of a, a gift. Hashem gives us the gift of the success, and we know when someone gives a gift, you give with tremendous uh, with, with a good eye and with tremendous ab- abundance. Another a success with a good eye and total completion. So the point I was breaking is that when we go out to war, we have to remember Hashem will give us a success. It's not going to come through a lot of effort. Hashem will make sure that we're successful. But again, we have to have the right mindset to know that we are Ali Becha. We have the power to succeed because we are above our enemy. Because we're with Hashem and the practice, the world is a godly place. And the Rebbe continues on to say as follows. Even though what we just learned that the success is coming, Hashem is going to give us the success, totally a gift. But nevertheless, we all know the intent is not a free lunch. The intent is not Hashem to do the work for us. The intent is we should transform the world. And we literally sometimes have to struggle and have to have conflict and have to have um, deal with challenges. Why? Because Hashem wants us to put the effort into it. In other words, that when you, when, that you, you, you that you, the, the war is the war is real, and what happens is when you when you when you put the effort in and you conquer and you're successful, then it becomes then it becomes really yours. So, in other words, since the goal is that we should totally transform the world with our effort, and we should transform it, and we should conquer it, and we should we and we should we should acquire it. So it's not just enough. Hashem gives us a gift, which is great. But we, a person has to do our work. And then it becomes really, really yours. Like, for example, like we know that in order to, to acquire something um, by, by war, according to Jewish law, the person has to do something which in Hebrew is called kibush. You have to conquer it. And you have to have a chazaka. You have to establish that it's yours. And that's why it says, Hashem is going to give it to you in your hand, and you're going to, and you're going to, and you're going to, um, redeem the captive in other words besides the fact yes Hashem is giving us a gift absolutely but, but nevertheless we still have to wish Shivya. we have to do our part we have to get the captive out of there by putting in our effort so you know even though Hashem is going to give us the tremendous blessing success but nevertheless we still have to put our effort into it because by us putting our effort that's when we, that's when it becomes real and that's when, that's when we, we that's when we really connect to it and Jehovah goes on to say, and that's why the verse says specifically, the Shavisa Shivya, the double expression that we're going we're gonna to take captive of the captive. And we ask, what's the double expression? And it never explains very, very simple. This, that we're going to put our effort into it. By putting our effort, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make the world a godly place. So the transformation can take place on two levels. One way you can look at it, that the fact is 
that um, this physical world is real and it's really physical and it's materialistic and not just natural states, but when we do our spiritual work, we pray, we study, we do mitzvot, so we elevate the physical world, which by nature is really physical. By nature, it's not necessarily godly. So in other words, we elevate it, and we, we, we're taking it, and we're changing the nature of the world. And we're making the nature of the world, of the physical world, a vessel for God. That's one way to look at it. That the world is real, and we're changing the nature of the world. Another way to look at it, look at it is as follows. That the truth is that the re- the world and the source of the world is godly. The world's not is not the physical is not real. It looks like it's real. It, 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 the materialism looks like it's real, but really, what's the source of it? it? All comes from Hashem. But what happened? It became unfortunately it got captive into materialistic. It took on a state where it looks like it's real. So our job is to transform the world and to take it out from captivity and return it to its original source. And I was never saying it's like this. There's two ways to look at the world. One way you can look at the world, the world is real, and we have to change the nature of the world. Remember, hey, God, there's a God in the world. The other way is, no, no, the world is really godly. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like it. So what we're doing is we're, we're, we're uncovering the truth. So that's why it says, Veshavisa Shivya. What does that mean? Because the world really is godly. And for some reason, it got this image that the, the materialistic is real. That's not true. So our job is just to take off the cover, which is really a cover-up. Now, even though the Rebbe says, according to the first way we look at it, that the, the world is real, so it's, you're doing tremendous things. You're transforming the world. You're taking something materialistic, and you're making it spiritual. You're making it godly. But nevertheless, so from a certain perspective, that's, it's, a huge, it's a huge accomplishment. But nevertheless, from the second perspective, which basically what we're doing is we're only returning the world, the physicality to its source. So that will give us more vitality and more alacrity to do our job. Why? Because what we're doing is, in Hebrew it's called, I'll say it in Hebrew, I'll translate it, we're doing pidyon shvuyim. We're redeeming something that's in captive. And that's a huge mitzvah. That's even a bigger mitzvah. If the world was materialistic, okay, very nice. He did a great thing. He transformed the Tagali place. Wonderful. Here we're saying is the world really is godly. Unfortunately, it's a prisoner. It's a prisoner of the materialistic facade. So when we go ahead and transform the materialistic world back to its original place, we're doing pidyon shvoyin. We're redeeming something that's in captivity. And like the Rebbe brings from Tanya, the Alta right, it's very, very powerful and very, very clear that there is no greater simcha, there's no greater joy when someone goes out of exile, when someone's not in their natural state, and someone gets redeemed. Like, for example, the Alta uses the example of, a, of the son of a king that, that unfortunately went into exile, and he's, and he's in prison, and he's working, and he's working very, very hard labor. And you take the son of the king who's in prison doing back-breaking labor and you free him. And not only do you free him, but you bring him back to the father, the king. There's no greater joy than that. 
So just like on a physical level, some the son of the king was in prison, and you took him out of prison, bring him back to his father. Wow, it's the biggest joy. The same thing also when you take the materialistic world, which is in prison in the world of the klipot, and you bring it back to make it to a godly state. There's no greater joy that, 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 that on that level, and that's why he says the shavisa shivya. You're, you're, you're taking out captive where it's really in captive. In other words, the truth is that this world was originally was originally part of God. But unfortunately, it was taken as a hostage. And in order to give us a, a energy and alacrity to do our, 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 spiritual world, our spiritual work, to take it out from captivity and bring it back to its original place, which basically is the mitzvah of Pidyon Shmoyim, redeeming something which is in captive. So based on this, Rebbe explains beautifully why it says that B'Shavisa Shivya, to inspire us, that we have a huge mission. We are Our mission is to take the world which really is not a, a physical place. It really is a godly place. It really is a spiritual place. But unfortunately, the Klippot put on this materialistic facade that it's real, and we redeem it, and we realize, no, no, no. What's real is God. And by us learning God's Torah, by praying and doing mitzvahs, we're actually redeeming it. That creates the greatest simcha. And that, and because it creates the greatest joy for Hashem, that gives us energy to go out and be successful in what we're doing to make the world a godly place. The Rebbe goes on to explain the, 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 the following verse. What does it say? The gilchas roisha, that you're going you're gonna, to um, uh, shave the head, give it a good, good haircut, the asus per now, and you're going to let the the, the nails uh, the grow. Different different insights, exactly what that means. Different commentaries, but the point is, you're going to you're going to you're going to let the nails grow, or you're going to cut it off, depending on different different commentaries. But the point is, the point is that you're you're going to you deal with the idea of the nails. What does that mean on a spiritual level? So Rebbe explains, based on what the altar explains in Kotatari as, as follows. He says as follows, that the hair on the head, what does the hair on the head come from? So in Hebrew, it's called Moisri HaMoichin. When you have too much, too much intellect, you're too intellectually involved in something. And what happens is, when you get too involved with your intellect in the materialistic world, that's what causes the hair to grow. So the hair grows on a spiritual level from intellectually too much getting intellectually involved in the materialistic world. The, what are the what are the what are the nails on your fingers grow from? That comes from when too too much emotional involvement in the materialistic world. So what happens when you get too much too intellectually involved in the world? The hair grows. When you get too emotionally involved in the, in the world, your nails grow. So our job is to cut the hair, which means to disconnect from our intellectual involvement in the world. Cut the nails. Or to allow it to grow means let it let it to go to go to uh, to go to go uh, to go away, which means to cut off our emotional involvement in the world. And then it explains like this: generally speaking, our spiritual work in this world is in two areas. One area is intellectually; our spiritual work is meditation, studying with our brain, etc. And the second is emotional refinement, dealing with our emotions. Now, so that's generally speaking. But the Rebbe right away says, one second, we know there's three areas. Why? There's three things that, that rule us. One is our intellect. The second is our emotions. And the third is our liver. So we're here we're saying that our body in this world is intellect and emotions. What, you, what, you forgot about what about the liver. So the Rebbe explains like this. 
Yes, it's true that the liver is involved. Why? Because every avoider, every spiritual work, which again, the main work is your intellect and your emotions, has to come into action. You can meditate about God, you can be emotionally connected to God, but if you're not willing to do the mitzvahs, <laughs> what's the intellect and the emotions? I mean, it's great, but it has to come into action in, in, in reality. Because the fact as we know, the expression, and I'll say it in Hebrew and I'll translate, weaker. the action is the main thing. And the action is connected to what? To the blood in the liver. And like we know, the spiritual work is um, in, 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 in the level of a, of a king, right? And a king in Hebrew is called a melech. A melech is a king. A melech is made up, the king is made up of three letters. Mem, Lamid, and Chaf. Mem stands for Moyach, our work on the intellectual level. The Lamid stands for our lave on emotional level. And the Chaf stands for the cover the liver. In other words, our goal is, just like the king takes control of the country, our job is to take control of our spiritual country, make sure our intellect is connected to God, our emotions are connected to our God, and our actions are, are connected to God, our God. In other words, so our, our spiritual, our, all three levels should be done according to the way, the, way, the way it says in the Torah. In other words, when a person learns Torah, so then what happens is you you become you that's when you take charge of your life. When a person learns Torah, you take charge of your intellect because you're learning Hashem's Torah with your brain. You get excited, you get emotionally involved, the love for Hashem, and, and then the action follows afterwards. So even though you need all three, but nevertheless, Rebbe says, where does it start? Action is the end result. But it starts in the intellect. You got to study, you got to meditate, and you have to be on fire emotionally, the love for Hashem, the awe of Hashem. Afterwards, what happens is it goes into action automatic. If you study and you meditate and you have a love for Hashem and you're an awe for Hashem, for sure you're going to do all the mitzvahs. For sure you're going to behave the way you're supposed to. So that's why it says you, you should, you should um, cut the hair and, 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 and deal with the nails and others why. Because in order to have the ultimate success and be successful in making the world a godly place, what do you have to do? You have to cut off the hair, which means you have to take off the intellect that got involved and obsessed with the physical world. And what you have to cut off the nails, which means you have to get take get 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 disconnected from your emotional involvement in the world. And that's much why it says the asasa. In other words, you have to fix it. You have to fix the intellect and the emotions. So it's a beautiful insight in the practicality of the here and 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 the nails to that basically our spiritual work is connecting to God through our intellect. Connecting to God to our emotions, obviously the action will follow. And sometimes when we, when we use our intellect, our emotions into the world, we got to cut it back. We got to bring it back. Get refocused. Use the biggest gift Hashem gave you, your brain, your heart, for Hashem. What does the verse continue on to say? She's going to stay at home. She's going to cry for her mother and her father for a month. And then you're going to be intimate with her. And then she'll become your wife. So the Rebbe brings beautiful, he brings the insight from the, from the, from the writings of the Arizal. And the Arizal says as follows, what's the idea of crying for a month? Why not a day? Why not a week? Why not uh, two weeks, three months, a year? What's, what's the concept of a month? So the Arizal says, when the verse says you cry for a month on a spiritual, what is it referring to? It's referring to the month of El. 
We know right now we're getting ready. We're in the month of Elul, and we knew a whole month we do tshuva. We write, we read songs. We brought the shofar. Uh, there's a different the we say uh, different people have different customs when to say it but the month that we, we we cry to Hashem in other words the fact is like this up until we cry for a month what is it referring to it's referring to this general work of a whole year a whole year what are we doing a whole year we're trying to make the world a godly place we're trying to focus our brain we're trying to focus our heart and that's enough when you go out to war and you should know you're above your enemy you get you get rid of the, the the nails on the hair, which means you cut back your emotional, intellectual, violent world. But what happens is when we come to the month of Elul, this month of Elul, which is the month of a Cheshboin, which we have to make a calculation how the whole year was, and as we have to make a calculation on the previous year, and we have to stop preparing ourselves for the next year. So what happens? We also now we have to turbocharge our connection with Hashem. And that's what happens is when, the, like the Rizal says, this is referring to the month of Elul. So now you have to you have to basically do serious soul introspection this month. And that's why he says, You're going to cry your mother and your father for this month. And what happens is, once you do your spiritual work of the month of Elul, you pray, you study, you give extra charity, you do extra mitzvot. Then you come to the level of where you create the intimacy. What does the intimacy mean? Intimacy mean it's referring to the the union of a kaddish baruch Hu, the infinite part of Hashem, and the shechina, the part of Hashem that dwells in this world. Which practically means it's referring to the union of the Jewish people and Hashem, and we have the ultimate union, the complete union. As it says, Yisrael ve'araisa ve'kuchabrichu kulochad, that the Jewish people and the Torah and Hashem are, only, are all one. Up to the ultimate completion, which is going to be when Mashiach comes, like we're going to, like the Rebbe quotes the verse that we're going to hear in the cities of Judah and in the outskirts of Yerushalayim, kol sasaim, kol simcha, kol chasam, kol kala, the, vo- the voice of, of, of joyous and celebration of the chatan and the kala, we're going to have the ultimate union, which happens through the avoid of the month of Elul. So here you see the importance of this month of Elul to do our tshuva, to, 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 to read our psalms, to pray, to give extra charity, and this will create the greatest union between us and Hashem. The Rebbe brings a, a beautiful verse from the uh, from the prophet Kohelet from King Solomon, and he says over there as follows: The world he gave into the heart, our heart. In other words, that everything that takes place in the world, everything that takes place in the world, it exists in the heart of each and every one of us. In other words, what does that mean practically? So just like you have the idea of going out to war which basically means to transforming and conquering the world and making the world a godly place for Hashem. So the same thing also it applies to us in our personal lives. And what does that mean practically? So Jehovah brings from the altar of the Kutatari and he says as follows, that every single person has two souls. We have the godly soul and we have the animal soul. And what does it mean you're going to go out to war? Which means basically our job is to take our holy soul and to transform the animal soul. Since we have two souls, the godly soul and the animal soul, so going out to war means that the godly soul should be one running our life. But not only should the godly soul run the life, but we should also transform the animal soul, that the animal soul should be connected to Hashem. So says, one second. 
What are we saying? We're making a statement. We have a godly soul. We have an animal soul. And the godly soul's job is that the godly soul should lead our life and to transform the animal soul. Jefferson, one second. We know it says in the Zoyar, and we actually say it in the in the prayer, which is called Mine Alash, when we say on we go to uh, resting places of, of holy tzaddikim. So it says over there, Gufa de Lahoyin Kadisha. It's in Aramaic, which means our body's holy. What are we just saying? That the godly soul is gonna running the show, that's the goal, and transform the animal soul, transform the body. But it says in the Zohar clearly that the body is holy. And you know, the, the, the Nefesh of Bahamas, the animal soul, is, is the, the animal soul of, of the of human being. As we call it, give the service like a Jewish Nefesh of Bahamas. In other words, besides the fact, like we says in the Zoe, that the body is holy. In other words, it's referring to the Nefesh, which is the lowest level of the, of the soul. But, and, and obviously the, 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 the Neshama is a, is a higher level, but the body is holy. But in, in other words, even though the, the body and the animal soul is, is, is holy. So Jeremy explains us this. He says as follows. Even though the Zoyer says that, 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 that the body is holy, but the fact is, it is holy. But the problem is the physical coarseness of the body and the physical coarseness of the animal soul covers up and conceals the holiness. So yes, the godly soul is holy and the animal soul and the body is also holy. The problem is it's covered up. It's concealed. And in other words, and not only that, the, ne- the Nefesh of Amos comes along and says, hey, one second, I actually come before the godly soul. And like it says in Tanya, clearly, and what does it say in Tanya, beginning of Tanya? But Nefesh HaShenis B'Yisrael, the second soul that we have, that's the one that's a part of Hashem on high. In other words, which one is the god, which one is first, the animal soul, and which one is second, the godly soul? And so what, what comes first? The Nefesh Bahamas is first. And actually, that's his argument. I'm first. Nefesh Bahamas is first. And the godly soul came afterwards. So since the, the animal soul is covered up and concealed and it thinks it's actually better and it can, can disguise itself, that's why we have to go out to war with the animal soul. And the godly soul has to go ahead and, and deal with the animals and transform the animals so the animals should realize, yes, you do have potential, but you're covered up and you're concealed. Godliness is not revealed. Now, so obviously, if we want to go ahead and transform that the godly soul should be the, 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 the active force, the animal soul should be transformed where the animal soul should realize that it's all about godliness, even though in potential, yes, it is very, very holy, but it's covered up. When is the time to do this spiritual war? So remember that the time to do this spiritual war is during prayer. Like it says clearly, now quote from the Zohar, Shas Tzoloisa Shas Kirva, the time of prayer, that's the time to, to, to transform the animal soul. And like, like it says in the Torah, that Yaakov says, that I took the land from, from the Amorites with my sword, my, my, with, with my bow and my arrow. And, um, and the, the Targum Uncle says, it's referring to the idea of prayer. In other words, through prayer, you go ahead and transform the animal soul. And that's why when a person prays every single day, <clears throat> we, when do we pray? You don't pray once a week, once a month. That's why we pray every single day. Why do we have to pray every single day? Because what happens is, and this is a very, very powerful insight. You can say, listen, I prayed yesterday. I prayed last week. I'm going to pray tomorrow. Why do I have to pray today? And the person says, no. Because the fact is that every single day when you wake up, you're a new human being. 
And because you're a new human being, so true, the godly souls are a new human being, but the animal souls also are a new human being. So you have to go ahead and transform it again from a new. So what happens, it's amazing. You go to sleep, you're all inspired, you said the Shema, life is great, you have an amazing day. You get up in the morning, let me just start my day, and the answer is no, no, no. Godly soul woke up brand new. The animal soul woke up also with new tricks. So therefore you have to go ahead and pray that the godly soul should lead your life and the animal soul should remember that, yes, it is godly, but the concealment's on it. You have to peel away the concealment so the God, animal soul can also serve Hashem. And that's why it says, You'll go out to war on your enemy. What does it mean practically to deal with your life, that your godly soul should be the one leading your life, and the animal soul should follow suit to whatever the godly soul wants. Now, Gabriel goes on to say as follows. <clears throat> what we learned before, this war is what kind of war we said it's a Muhammad's Roshos, it's an optional war. Rashi said it's an optional war. In other words, so therefore what is it? So therefore we have to translate it on a practical level as well. On, and as a practical level, we have an optional war. So what, what, what is the practical level of the optional war? So first we spoke about that the godly soul should run our life and the animal soul should be transformed by the godly soul. What is, what's the optional war? Where's the optional part? So the optional part is, so the, 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 the war is, the initial war is, where you want the godly soul to transform the animal soul, because the animal soul is an animal soul. But what's the optional part? So I'll say it in Hebrew and I'll translate it, where it says, Kaddish Atzmach There's a whole spiritual transformation that takes place, things that you're allowed to do. Kosher food, anything which is kosher, anything which is appropriate, you're allowed to do. But nevertheless, even though you're allowed to do it, you don't do it. And those, even though you're allowed to do certain things and you don't do it, that's called transforming a situation. So let's say, for example, something's not kosher. You're not going to eat it. That's where the godly soul comes to the animals. No, you want it. We're not eating it. We only eat kosher. Here we're talking about you're allowed to eat it. It's kosher. And you're, you're ready to make a blessing. You say, you know what? Even though I'm allowed to have it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abstain. I'm going to abstain. Why? Because I want to dedicate more time to learn and to pray and to meditate. I don't have to. I can sit down and do it. But I'm, I'm going to sanctify him. I'm going to create a, a, a godly experience. In other words, so this is a whole different level. Why is that? Never explains it this. What's the power of Kaddish Atzmach Mutzlach by going ahead and abstaining something that you technically could have? So ever explains, explains it based on what's explained in many, many places in Kabbalah, and specifically, he says, the, the Rebbe Marash, the, uh, the, the, the Rebbe Marash explains it in one of his classic works, and he uses the example of the, we know that, for example, there's, um, we have the, the, the Torah, it has 613 commandments, 248, the positive, three, negative, and then you have mitzvot, the Rabbana, the rabbis put in certain mitzvot. So, he explains the power and the superiority of the rabbinic mitzvahs over the over 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 the, the mitzvahs which are ordained by God. And he explains like this. When it comes to the mitzvahs from the Torah, the godly mitzvahs, so we know there's positive commandments, in Hebrew it's called the mitzvahs I say, and there's negative commandments. And it's explained in many, many places, and especially the altar explains it at length in the Kutta Torah, that there's a certain power in the negative precepts over the positive precepts. Why is that? Because when a person does a mitzvah, a positive mitzvah, so you're doing a positive, you're bringing in godly light. Every time you do one of the positive mitzvahs, you're bringing in godly light. 
The light you're bringing in is a light that fits the vessel. A light that fits the vessel of the mitzvah that you did. The vessel is a vessel for that light, and the light fits into the vessel. So what does that mean in Kabbalistic terminology? That means the light is a mugbal. It's a limited light. And it fits into the vessel. That's a positive mitzvah. So a positive mitzvah is a finite light into a finite vessel. On the other hand, when a person abstains from doing something that, that you shouldn't be doing, and as you observe, one of the negative precepts. So then... The power to abstain, like don't do this, is much stronger than just doing a mitzvah. You do a mitzvah, fine. This is the mitzvah, the light went to the vessel. When you abstain, what vessel is there? You're not doing it. When you do a mitzvah, you quantify. This is the mitzvah, this is the light, this is the vessel. When you're abstaining, the power is so so powerful that it's it, it's it's it, you're creating literally an infinite light. And that's why, because it's an infinite light, it does not go into doing a specific action. You're just not doing. What you're doing is you're not doing something you shouldn't be doing. And you're not transgressing. So in other words, like this. In a positive commandment, it's a light fits in the vessel. In a negative precept, it's an infinite light. does not fit into the vessel. Now, so, the, so in order to create a light that fits in the vessel, you do a positive commandment. In order to create an infinite light, you do a negative precept. You can't get both. The positive commandments bring the finite light in the vessel, and the negative is the infinite light. However, when you, when you go ahead and you do one of the mitzvahs, which a rabbinic commanded us to do it, over here what happens, you end up with both qualities. You have the power of the negative precept because it's infinite it's not one of the mitzvahs in the Torah but you also have the power that it's a finite light into a vessel because what's the essence why do the rabbis come in and put in a certain uh, uh, mitzvah whether it's Purim uh, Hanukkah or uh, or Erev or washing our hands or whatever, whatever it may be what's the purpose because they were trying to take away and push away some darkness they never why, why they why are they coming in to add more things to do? Because there's darkness in the world. So they wanted to push away the darkness. So in other words, because of the light that's being accomplished by the, by the rabbinic commandments is infinite. Just like the light of a negative precept. On the other hand, you are doing something. Whether it's Hanukkah candles, whether it's Arab, whether you're washing your hands, etc. So on one hand, it's, it, it's, you bring in the infinite light, but then again, it's, it's a light which goes into a vessel. And that's why it says in the Talmud that to observe the rabbinic precepts is more stringent than observing the, 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 the Torah precepts. Or like, with, or like another expression says that the rabbinic precepts are more beloved than the, the, the Torah precepts. In other words, why is that? Because it's not that they're more strict, the rabbinic precepts. But it's the fact that it pushes away darkness, which is, accomplishes what the negative precepts accomplish. So you're bringing in the infinite light, but also the beloved because it brings in that light into a vessel. Now, so that's what they explain, the difference between the rabbinic commandments and their biblical commandments. 
that in the, in the biblical commandments, the, the positive commandments accomplish the light in the vessel, the negative is the infinite light. The rabbinic have the power to fuse the two. It brings in the infinite light into a vessel. So the same thing the Rebbe says applies when a person is Kaddish, Asach, Mutalach, you decide to take on a certain custom or to go ahead and sanctify something you don't have to. So by doing that, you're bringing in the infinite light into a vessel. Powerful. Now, to take it a step further, it's like this. It's known that the seven mitzvot, the rabbinical mitzvot, when did they start? They started much later, after we received the, 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 the Torah commandments. In other words, when did we receive it? After, unfortunately, the Jewish people um, went down like from, to like a lower level. Even the laws of, for example, to make the Erev around the community or washing your hand that was established by King Solomon. And by referencing King Solomon, it says that King Solomon sat on the, on the throne of Hashem. But fact is, King Solomon came after King David. And reference to King David was a much higher time. Because it says in the Torah clearly, that in the prophets, that it was Miyat Hashem Alei Haskil, that he was at a much higher level. In other words, and the question is, why is that? Why is it that it only came afterwards? And the answer to explain is very simple. Because what's the whole idea of a rabbinic commandment? That, that's much more powerful than the biblical commandment. Because that can only come when the darkness is greater. And as when it becomes so dark, so yes, it's dark. But the purpose of the darkness is to bring in a greater level of light. And by through the darkness, you're able to bring in a much more powerful light. And because it's darker, and because there's more challenges, specifically in the darkness of exile, the seven rabbinical com commandments were in instituted so that we can bring in the infinite light into a finite vessel. And the, so the same thing applies with all the different dec 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 decrees and the different customs um, that, that, that were established and that were, were put upon us through great leaders throughout the generations, which includes the concept of Kaddish Asuch Mutalach. Anytime you're able to do something, you refrain. So by doing that, you're actually bringing in the infinite light and you're bringing it in to a practical physical vessel. So he never finished off and he says very beautifully something like this. When we do our complete spiritual work, which means we go out to war on our enemy, and, those, so, and we're successful in making the world a godly place, and obviously by doing, by, not only by, by not only by, by, by transforming our animal soul, but transforming the world, but we take neutral moments and we transform it, so we're bringing in the infinite light into the finite world, we come to the next Torah portion, which says, Ki we're going to come into the land of, land of Israel, which is referring to the redemption, the true redemption, the complete redemption, which is going to happen through Mashiach Sidkenu. And then what will happen is we're going to go into the land of Israel, be able to fulfill the mitzvah of Bikurim, bringing the first, first, the first fruits. And we're going to be able to fulfill it, the mitzvah is like we're going to do like when Mashiach comes. Like, like, and it says, the prophet says, Basham Nasala Fanecha. When Mashiach comes, we're going to do the mitzvah, Kemitzvah Ritzaynecha. We're going to do the mitzvah like the will of Hashem. Now, even though the mitzvah of the Kormitz, it's only the beginning of the Avoidah. You're bringing, you know, from the first of the fruits. 
But afterwards what happens is you come to the tremendous abundance. Like the prophet says, Ki Hashem, Hashem is going to um, uh, make the waters of Israel much, much greater and much wider. And as we know, we're going to have then the additional three um, uh, uh, lands of Eretz, Kani, Knizi, Kadmoini. And the Rebbe finishes by saying, this is all going to happen in a revealed way. As the prophet says, Hashem. Hashem will be revealed. And all flesh is going to see. In other words, not only the eyes are going to see godliness, but literally the flesh is going to see godliness. Like it says, our eyes are going to see. But more than that, what's going to happen is literally our flesh is going to feel and see godliness. And when is that going to happen? That's going to happen by the redemption, the true redemption, the complete redemption, which is going to happen with Mashiach Tzidkenu, and the Rebbe finishes off by Gali Dan, literally in our generation. So again, once again, a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Hasidic discourse. Thanks for joining us, and let's hope that, as Rebbe said, our next class will be in Yerushalayim, Ir HaKodesh. Have a great and blessed week. Shavua Tov.